Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Monday, December 5th, 2022. It's been 3,204 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 285 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess there is an extreme risk of terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure beyond the current wave of attacks launched at the time of recording. Second, we maintain Russia will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed, or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Third, We assess that Russian President Vladimir Putin will face more unrest inside and outside the Kremlin, with the Russian information space already questioning Russian air defense capabilities. Fourth, we maintain that the risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction is possible. Fifth, we maintain that Russia is conducting stealth mobilization and may be preparing for the second wave of partial mobilization in January 2023. Sixth, we assess the slowdown in combat operations on multiple axes is coming to an end, with improved ground conditions enabling armored vehicles to engage in fighting again. Seventh, we maintain that neither belligerent will institute a winter pause. Eighth, We maintain that President Putin's inner circle is actively targeting Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu for dismissal and replacement due to continued military failures in Ukraine. Ninth, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations. Tenth, we maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin to be combat effective due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. Eleventh, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. And finally, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine has diminished, but remains a possibility in the next 40 to 70 days. Let's get some regional updates, and since it's Monday, check in with both belligerents' objectives, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. The Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, hold current defensive lines, and control insurgency. 
The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, advance on Svatova, Kremina and Lusychansk, and support insurgents. Along the Kharkiv-Luhansk administrative border, the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, admitted that Ukraine occupies Novoselivsky and is launching attacks on Kuzimivka, which is less than one kilometer to the east. We've adjusted the map to move the line of conflict further east. We still considered Novoselivsky as contested, and the situation remains dynamic. Some assessment here? Ukrainian forces are clearly making gains in northwest Luhansk. There have not been claims by Russian sources of fighting for Krokhmalne or Berstova on the Kharkiv-Luhansk administrative border, Stelmakhivka or Miazosharivka. Russian forces are putting up a fierce defense at Novoselivsky and Kuzimivka, not just to slow down an advance on Svatova, but to prevent further advances on Nizhnyi Dovanka, which is a critical logistic node for Russian ground lines of communication, called GLOCs, those are supply lines, between Svatova and the Russian border. If Ukraine can move closer to the top of the ridges west of Nizhnyi Dovanka, its forces would gain fire control over the highway from a highly defensible position. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported fighting in Ploshanka. Ukraine continues to make progress, and we moved the line of conflict further east. Multiple Russian sources reported continued fighting in Chervonopopivka, where Ukraine is also making significant progress. The Russian MOD also reported fighting for control of Zhitlivka, and we moved the line of conflict east based on the continued reports from Russian sources. The Russian MOD also reported that Ukrainian forces attacked Kremina and were unsuccessful. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR-JCCC, reported that Kremina was shelled by Ukrainian artillery, while Wargonzo reported that the Bars-13 Russia Legion unit, not to be confused with the Russia Imperial Legion terrorist organization, regained lost territory southwest of Kremina. Semyon Pegov, still crutches bound after stepping on an anti-personnel mine in October, released a 44-second video clip as proof of the successful advance. It would be an understatement to say that it is obviously staged and proves nothing. There are no Best Actor awards to be given here, and it is worth a watch if you need a chuckle. We do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. Additionally, it is impossible to believe that a light infantry unit moving through the woods would welcome a person missing parts of their foot and still on crutches. The report from the Russian MOD of fighting in Dibrova, southwest of Kremina, doesn't help Pegov's cause either. Positional fighting continued east of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with no change in the situation. Well, beyond Russian sources becoming glummer when discussing the situation. A series of videos showed the results of the HIMARS strike on Alchevsk on December 2nd. Rockets hit a dormitory at the Industrial College of Alchevsk, causing heavy damage to the structure. The LNR-JCCC reported Alchevsk was hit by HIMARS twice on December 4th, with a salvo of two rockets in the morning and eight in the evening. In northeast Donetsk, the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, defend against Ukrainian advances toward Luhansk, and capture Bakhmut Solidar. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Bakhmut Solidar, push into the Luhansk oblast, and minimize civilian casualties. The most intense fighting in Ukraine continues to be along the Donetsk-Luhansk administrative border south of Lusychansk to Kurdyumivka. No source has provided information on Spirna for several days, 
and the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, has not reported any artillery shelling. We moved the line of conflict west toward the village, and we continue to consider the settlement contested. Private Military Company, or PMC Wagner Group, is having a rough time on the T-1302 highway, with fighting reported in Berestova, Nahirne, and Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk. Wargonzo wrote that Wagner was unsuccessful in trying to, quote, break through Ukrainian defenses in this region. Russian troops have been attempting to cross the T-1302 highway for six months, with nothing to show. Fighting is reportedly very intense east of Yakovlivka, with continued fighting along the eastern edge of Solidar and the central and southern parts of Bakhmutske. There were reports of fighting on the, quote, highway southeast of Pithorodne, but this felt like creating news, as the line of conflict and the gray area has been along the intersection of the T-1302 and M3 highway for weeks. Russian social media claims that the Bakhmut suburb has been captured are false. Fighting continued east of Bakhmut in the no-man's land on the E-40 highway with no change, while Russian forces heavily shelled the city's center. The heaviest fighting in all of Ukraine continues to be in Opitne, four kilometers south of Bakhmut, with Ukrainian forces holding defensive lines in what has been described as a heroic effort. PMC Wagner and Russian forces are having logistical challenges after Ukraine moved more artillery into the area. The T-504G lock between Popazna and Bakhmut has become too dangerous for convoys, so material and personnel are being moved on a dirt road. Georgian volunteer forces, the nation, not the state, for our United States audience, with the 57th Brigade fighting for Ukraine became surrounded near Bakhmut. Five members were killed and six wounded, including the unit commander. It was unclear if they had broken out of the encirclement or were still fighting at the time of recording. A Russian Ka-52 helicopter was shot down near Bakhmut by an S-300 anti-aircraft missile. The video shows the helicopter being struck from above and plummeting to the ground. Russian social media reported that the aircrew was lost and that they were the most decorated Ka-52 pilots in Russian aviation. The video confirmed that the aircrew did not eject. The Russian Su-24M multi-role fighter 48 Blue was also shot down near Bakhmut by manpads. While Russian VKS has increased air operations, it's coming at a heavy cost, with three airframes lost in the last 72 hours. Quick assessment. We haven't observed this pace of verifiable losses since Ukraine launched the Kharkiv counteroffensive in September. It's unclear if Russian aviation is taking more chances because they believe they're gaining the upper hand around Bakhmut or trying to break a deadlock. Russian forces have lost four airframes since December 2nd, including the crash of an Su-31 in eastern Russia during a training flight. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces repelled an attack on Klishivka and defended the hamlet of Avdiivka. Ukrainian officials also reported that Kurdyamivka was shelled. We did not make any changes to the map. In Kramatorsk, a Russian missile strike hit a significant Ukrainian ammunition depot. There was a large fire with multiple secondary explosions. In southwest Donetsk, the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, capture the rest of the oblast, 
and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, and interdict supplies and disrupt logistics. Most fighting in this region was positional, with Russian sources likely overstating the intensity of fighting in Marinka. Ukrainian forces defended their positions in Vodyana, and fighting continued in the eastern part of Pervomaiske. Fighting around Druzhby Avenue and to the east continued in Marinka, with the 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, unable to break the stalemate. The DNR continued its tradition of attacking Ukrainian defenses east of Novomikhailivka, and once again failed. The Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian forces launched two unsuccessful attacks on Pavlivka. While we can't verify the report, Russian sources shared a video of an infantry fighting vehicle running over an anti-tank mine near Pavlivka, so fighting is still ongoing in the area. The Russian MOD also claimed Ukraine launched an attack in the Shevchenko area without any evidence. The People's Militia of the DNR Telegram channel released their 5 o'clock follies, claiming they destroyed two self-propelled howitzers, one main battle tank, and seven units of, quote, armored and automotive vehicles. And I'm running out of ways to say that there was no evidence, but there was no evidence. Ukrainian forces carried out 153 fire missions on the occupied territories, and outside of Marinka and Bakhmut, Russian artillery fire was unusually light on the southwest Donetsk axis. The city of Donetsk was heavily shelled, including the western regions, the city center, and the Donbass arena. The city was shelled again in the evening, setting a, quote, funeral services, building on fire. A video from the scene recorded small pops, but if the funeral services building had embalming and other volatile fluids present, that could have been the cause. The Church of the Nativity was heavily damaged in the same barrage. West of Mariupol, Russian forces are building static defenses and placing bunkers on the highway between Manchush and Berdyansk. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. The Russian objective is to prevent Ukrainian offensives into Kherson and Zaporizhia, integrate captured territory into the Russian Federation, and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate Russian-occupied areas, prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and protect civilians. There was mutual shelling by both belligerents across the Dnipro. Russian forces conducted 27 fire missions on the Free Ukraine territories west of the Dnipro River, targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure, and once again specifically targeting the city of Kherson. Apartments in the Tavrieska district were struck and a gas pipeline was damaged. Russian forces shelled the pre-trial detention center, likely with cluster munitions based on the damage patterns. No inmates were injured, but some of the staff were. Ukrainian officials decided to move the prisoners from the facility to a new location further away from the Dnipro River. 
Civilians started river crossings from the East Bank to Kherson using the Green Corridor established by Ukraine. A boat with a couple came under machine gun fire by Russian troops, killing a woman. Her husband arrived in free Ukraine unharmed, but as a widower. In Novokhovka, insurgents placed anti-Russian occupation signs, painted the Yi symbol, and tied yellow ribbons in the city. The DNR militia released a video from an undisclosed location showing Russian defenses on the east bank of the Dnipro River. You will need Telegram to watch the three-and-a-half-minute-long video, but we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. The bunker structure uses pre-built concrete bunkers, derisively called septic tanks, and logs to protect a tunnel network. No DNR militia video would be complete without fake combat, and yes, (laughs) this one delivers, complete with spectacular background music and dramatic lighting. In the Skadovsk rayon, Russian occupiers no longer permit postal workers to deliver payments to pensioners. If the elderly want to continue receiving their pensions, they must go to the post office in person and hold a Russian passport. We know that Ukrainians want to embrace Russian mir because we force them to with violence, is how that sounds in my head. Russian officials also put a curfew in place, only allowing people to leave their homes during daylight hours and blocking travel out of the rayon. The use of private boats on the Chaika River has also been banned. There was no change in the situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. The city of Zaporizhia was hit by S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack. The missiles landed in the industrial area, damaging unspecified infrastructure. There was only sporadic artillery and tank fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola to Orihiv. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, the Russian Black Sea Fleet has 21 vessels on patrol, including four missile carriers capable of launching 24-caliber cruise missiles. In response to the attack on two Russian air bases, multiple caliber cruise missiles were launched at Ukraine. We'll talk more about that when we talk about the Russian front. The Kerch Strait Ferry was able to operate today after three days of closures. In western and central Ukraine, the Russian objective is to launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services, and to break morale. The Ukrainian objective is to deter attacks and protect civilian lives. In Dnipropetrovsk, Russian forces attacked Nikopol five times during the day, killing a 23-year-old who was outside in his yard during the attack. Kriviri was hit by three Russian missiles, striking the industrial district during a daytime attack. Valentin Reznichenko, Dnipropetrovsk Oblast administrative and military governor, reported one person was killed and three had to be hospitalized after a missile struck a factory. In north and northeast Ukraine, the Russian objective is to lock Ukrainian military resources into place and launch terror attacks on civilians in an attempt to break morale and maximize casualties by deprivation of heat, water, and medical services. The Ukrainian objective is to complete the liberation of the Kharkiv Oblast maintain the integrity of the international border, deter attacks, and protect civilian lives. 
Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast Administrative and Military Governor, reported that the Hromadas of Yunakivka, Nova Sloboda, Shalakhin, and Velika Pisarivka were attacked by Russian forces from across the international border. Seven homes were damaged in Nova Sloboda, and power lines were destroyed, knocking out power in the area. Videos and pictures have emerged, showing an entire battery of Russian S-27 Uragan MLRS vehicles destroyed southeast of Yahidne. There is rampant speculation that the village has been liberated, based on the evidence that Ukraine broke through the second echelon line of defense, or that Russian military commanders were sloppy and moved artillery assets too close to the front line. There were claims on social media that Ukraine also liberated Kutlyarivka, but there hasn't been a report from Ukrainian officials, pictures, or videos of Ukrainian forces in either settlement. We tweaked the war map based on the geolocation of the destroyed MLRS battery, and it is supportive of Ukraine controlling the town. At this time, however, we consider Yehidne contested until there is further evidence. In our analysis, Russian forces have full control over 17 settlements in Kharkiv, and Ukrainian forces are contesting nine. This is based on information through social intelligence and what has been shared by Ukrainian officials. Moving on to the Russian front, the Ukrainian military appears to have hit Engels Air Base, 710 kilometers east of Kharkiv, with a drone. The base is 400 kilometers southeast of Moscow and is where Russian Tu-95 and Tu-160 strategic bombers are armed for missile strikes on Ukraine. Multiple Russian sources are reporting two Tu-95 strategic bombers were destroyed. A dramatic video from a surveillance camera four kilometers away showed a flash on the horizon followed by a shockwave strong enough to move the camera. Another video from three and a half kilometers away recorded car alarms being set off. Assessment time. Less than 24 hours before the drone strike, Ukrainian officials announced that Ukroboronprom had completed a, quote, number of successful tests, end quote, of a new kamikaze drone with a 1,000-kilometer range and a 73-kilogram warhead. Natalia Saad, press secretary of Ukroboronprom, said the next testing phase would involve operating a drone, quote, under the influence of electronic warfare, end quote, adding that once that test was complete, they hoped to, quote, be able to test it in combat, end quote. In mid-October, Ukraine hinted they were deep into developing their long-range kamikaze drone. We have no information to confirm that this was a, quote, combat operational test for the new drone, but if it was, it was successful. Russian mill bloggers are assuming that the drone was launched from within Russia, which seems highly unlikely given the force of the blast. Russian mill bloggers are completely outraged over the attack. Unofficial Bezinov Z wrote, quote, I'm wondering what kind of clowns during the war ordered to collect almost all strategic aviation and put it together, shoulder to shoulder, on one airfield in the open, end quote. Yeah, we know the answer to that question. That would be Russian Colonel General Sergei Surovyakin, who was the Air Force commander before he was made the supreme commander of Russian forces in Ukraine about six weeks ago. 
Grayzone complained that the United States company Maxar has more surveillance satellites than the Russian military. What? The Russian Federation Armed Forces apparently only have two spy satellites at their disposal. Oh, this explains why their surveillance and target information is so poor. No, I get it. Yep, I see it. I see it. Two majors quipped that the staff and leadership at Engels Air Base, quote, did not pass the combat test, although it was definitely clear that it was the object of attack by our enemy, end quote. The Russian mill blogger Military Informant wrote, quote, the sheep in the rear continue to demonstrate their absolute incompetence. These people were not taught anything at Saki in the Crimea, or by Vedetia in the Piskov region, or even by an attempt to strike Shaikovka with drones, where the Tu-22M3s are based, end quote. They went on to criticize Russian air defenses, writing, quote, Airfields, even with strategic aviation, cannot cover air defense missile systems with the installed radars, end quote. If this is factual, this is a stunning admission of a lack of readiness. Almost at the same time, there was an explosion at the Diaghilevo airbase near Raizan. That base is 350 kilometers northeast of Kharkiv and 100 kilometers southeast of Moscow. Russian officials claim a fuel truck exploded, killing three and wounding six. The Rybar Telegram channel was already dismissing the Russian MOD claim that it was an accident, writing, quote, With a high degree of probability, sabotage was carried out at strategic facilities, end quote. Even the propagandists with Fridovka dismissed the Russian MOD claim that the explosion at Diaghilevo was an accident, writing, quote, Unknown drones inflicted a strike on air bases in Diaghilev and Engels. In the first case, a fuel truck exploded, taking the lives of three people with it. And in the second case, according to some reports, the UAV caused damage to two Tu-95 aircraft. End quote. At the time of recording, the Russian-language website for TASS made no mention of the strikes, while Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov told reporters that Russian President Vladimir Putin had been briefed about the situation. Ultranationalist mill blogger Alexei Zhivov demanded a nuclear strike be launched on Ukraine for attacking a, quote, completely defenseless airfield where our Tu-95 and Tu-160 nuclear missile carriers are stationed, end quote. Take all the time you need. At the time of recording, over a hundred cruise missiles were fired at Ukraine, and the Black Sea fleet was moving to its launch positions. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.